good to see folks this morning and um, uh, look forward to bringing the word of the Lord this morning. And so, you know, it is uh, in a certain sense that it's termed Resurrection Sunday, but it just happens, and uh, when I say just happens, in terms of the series that I'm doing on holiness, which is uh, what I'm going to continue on. It deals with, uh, we're still looking at the theme of the resurrection and the power of the resurrection. And not only in that Christ is risen from the dead, but in the fact that there is uh, that power and the resurrection and its relationship to you and I. And this is what we looked at um, last, last week when we considered the first few verses there of Romans chapter 6. And that the Bible says that we were buried with him. In baptism unto death and our identification with Christ and our union with Christ and we were raised together with him and uh, we should walk in newness of life newness of life and so when we talk about the resurrection this morning would to God that his people would understand the resurrection, not just Christ's resurrection in terms of us believing uh, in the Lord, but how the resurrection applies to us as Christians in our union with Christ in his death and resurrection and how that is to practically manifest itself in our lives. In fact, the Bible tells us that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is what? In you. Amen. Romans chapter 8 verse 15 where it clearly says, 11 sorry. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life. Listen to that will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So we have a life-giving Spirit. Amen? The first Adam was a, became a living being. The second Adam, Christ, became a life-giving Spirit. And when we talk about the resurrection, we're talking about resurrection life. And the same Spirit that raised Christ is the same Spirit in you and me as believers. And we are to appropriate that for us. And this is where many believers do not understand the glories of our inheritance in Christ Jesus and how to appropriate them and abide in this fullness as the scripture consistently exhorts us and encourages us and instructs us and teaches us too throughout the Bible. And really this particular emphasis is what Paul uh, uh, is consistently referring to and teaching us in his epistles. You see, we have to understand the power of the resurrection and its relationship to the believer. Because it's a critical component and part of, if we're going to live a life of holiness, practically speaking, and if we're going to be, as we've said, conform likeness is holiness Likeness, holiness is likeness unto God. We're being transformed into His image. This is what the Spirit of God is doing in each of us. And uh, yes, and that's going to involve all aspects of our life internally in terms of being changed and transformed in our person and also externally in the way in which we live and conduct ourselves. That's the, that's the full emphasis and package, I guess, of holiness as we see in Scripture. And I'm reiterating that I pray that you're catching the truth as we consider this series. But this is the point that Paul is making in his epistles, and especially here in Romans chapter 6. As he begins to make an emphasis and explain to the believer, to you and I, how we can practically live a life of holiness and separation unto God. Because that is what is required of us as we will begin to identify in this next portion of text that we're going to look at. You see, when we talk about holiness this morning, we've got to consider in the fact that we are separated to God. You know, we looked, remember a few weeks ago, we looked at the fact that we are in the new covenant. 
That word new is so critical in our understanding and experience as Christians. I mean, we're talking about the New Testament. We're talking about Paul in our text, in, 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 when we're looking at Romans 6, he says, walk in a what? Newness of life. What does the scripture tell us in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things what? Become new. I like things new. Yeah? <laughs> it's just something about new. And we have the newness of life in Christ Jesus. It's everywhere throughout the scriptures. In fact, even in chapter um, uh, eight, seven sorry, of Romans, we're going to look at this in more detail next time, but, uh, but let me just point to it. It says that we should um, uh, serve in the newness of the spirit, not in the oldness of the letter or the law. So the newness. This is we're in a new covenant, new, a, a new dynamic, a new power that we are experiencing as Christians. Paul says in Ephesians, we looked at this last time too, we, we are to put off the old man and put on the new man who's created in Christ Jesus in, in holiness. Amen. That's what the Ephesians says. So I think we're getting the gist, right? But it's exciting to hear these things because they're wonderful truths. They should stimulate us to, and in our love and passion for God. Because you know what? I want the fullness of that. I want it. I want to live in that. I want to appropriate that. And so, as we consider these, these aspects this morning of newness, we've, we have looked at it, obviously, in our position in Christ, especially as we've looked at the first few verses of chapter 6. Remember, we were looking at, Paul puts forth, we looked at last week, the reign of grace or the rule of grace in the Christian life. And it's not just the grace that covers sin, even though that's what grace does. But it's not a license that gives us a license to sin. Grace actually gives us dominion over sin and power to, be, to live free from the power of sin in our lives. So again, there's the positional. And now Paul is introducing us to the practical expression of that in our lives. Because it's one thing to have um, uh, uh, the doctrine. It's one thing to understand the, the reality of that. But it must become real in our lives. And that's what Paul is going to begin to touch upon and make emphasis uh, in, in chapter 6 as we're going to continue on with the chapter in a moment. But to do so, how do Paul's going to show us how to respond appropriately, how to respond correctly to this new way of life that is provided for us in Christ Jesus through, the, through His grace and through the power of His Spirit in us, the resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead. So let's look at it and uh, see what the Bible is going to teach us. Let's so we'll read from verse 11 through to verse 23, Romans chapter 6. Paul says, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign or rule in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments for right of righteousness to God for sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under the law but under grace what then shall we sin because you are not under law but under grace there's the question again certainly not do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness 
and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in those things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin. Now, you may remember, going back now right to the beginning when I first uh, did the first introduction to the series and kind of touched upon some, not all, just actually made mention of some of the confusion and controversy that surrounds the doctrine and practice of holiness for the Christian. And one of the uh, uh, scriptures that gets discussed many times is Romans chapter 6, verse 11. Reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin. And, uh, uh, and the, the, the discussion and debate, if you want to call it for some, is uh, does, does that mean once we reckon on the reality of, of our identification with Christ, does that automatically produce holiness? Or is there a need for, as they say, the, the phrase self-effort? Or works. So again, this is the question that gets the tension that people are uh, trying to balance and make emphasis on. But Paul says, "Reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin," and it's what's been called the reckoning. Now, as we've said, Romans six teaches us some basic principal truths concerning our identification and our union with Christ Jesus. And so when the Bible says, reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin, again, what is, what's the answer to that? What is Paul trying to teach us? What is he trying to communicate to us? And so again, this is important that we understand the context and what is being spoken of. You have to go, obviously, to the previous verses here, which are directly uh, verse 8 to 10, but also that goes back to Paul in his original question of verse 1, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And then begin, Paul begins to talk about the fact that, in, in the, now listen to this, in God's reckoning, in God's judicial judgment on sin through the redemption that we have in Christ Jesus when Christ uh, uh, died and uh, was risen from the dead he sat down at the right hand of God and so it is finished salvation is complete now when we were born again of the Spirit of God and became children of God we were became in union with Christ and now we are now partakers of the divine nature. The Spirit of God lives in us, Christ in us, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. And so as we were united with Him, Paul refers to water baptism in the context that as it relates to this spiritual reality. And so because this is what it's about. And so in, in the reckoning of God, God has judged the old man. Even though we're in the flesh, we're born of Adam. We've been born from above the second Adam, the life-giving spirit through, of Jesus Christ, born again. That's the emphasis we make, born from above. And so, in, in understanding that, we've identified with it. So in God's reckoning... The body of sin has been done away with. It's been destroyed. It's been judged by God. Our sins have been nailed to the cross. And the old man has been crucified with Christ so that we no longer have to be slaves of sin. But we can now become, and we are free to have power over sin. And this is an, this is an awesome concept to think about. As a Christian, you, you're not a slave to sin anymore. doesn't mean we don't sin. But you're not to be a slave because part of the gospel is not just forgiveness of your sins, but the, the freedom and provision to have power and dominion. But through the grace of God, by the Spirit of God, over sin. That's, that's what Paul's talking about here. And so he says, you've got to reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin. You have to come to the same conclusion that God has come to concerning Adam 
and man's sinful nature, considering the whole human race, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But in the new creation now, this is where we live. God looks not at the old. The old is gone. He looks now at the new. And so we have to reckon this reality that we are in the new creation. The old has passed away. The old man has been nullified. We are no longer to continue in willful sin and disobedience to God. So he says, reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin. You see, in verse 7, if you have a look, go back a few verses. For he who has died has been freed from sin. So we've identified with his death. So therefore we are free from sin, meaning that we are free from the power of sin. So we have the judicial aspect and the practical aspect in which we are to, to live. So it says in verse 7, now, we, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But now the life that he lives, he lives to God. So it's using Christ now as the example for the Christian. Now we're, we're having identified with Christ, this applies to us. So when we talk about Christ's death and his resurrection, now that we have been born from above and born again and in union with Christ, we in the same way have Christ died once. You can't die twice. Okay? In that sense. And so it's, 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 it's a, there's a logical progression here that you died and you've been risen with Christ and you are alive. You are alive to God just as Christ is in his death and resurrection and our identification with it, the same truth applies to you and to me. That's why in verse 11 he says, likewise, in the same way, in the same way that we see Christ, in the same way it applies to us. You reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin. But, the, uh, uh, but um, reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we are living, we are alive to God. You are, we were dead, we were once dead to God. Dead in sin. But now we are alive to God. Because we are partakers of this, of this glorious power. Same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. We are the children of God. Amen. And so, and to, you know, the fact that we have the spirit in us is, 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 is evidence of the fact that we are children of God this morning. And so Christ died once for all, and he lives now forevermore. And we have died in him, and we are now partakers of eternal life. And we, are, we have that eternal life forevermore as well. And so likewise, consider yourselves dead. Now the word reckon here is an interesting word, because in the English language, in Australian slang, if you've, if that doesn't represent, you know, like you ever heard Aussies talk? Um, so what's your opinion? Oh, I reckon, I reckon that, um, well, that's not what Paul's saying, right? That's just, you know, it's like, reckon means, uh, let me take a guess. <laughs> no, the Bible's not doing that. When Paul says, reckon yourselves deed to, indeed to sin, this, the, the word is strong. The word carries such strength that, and authority. The reckoning here, to reckon yourself, is to come to a rational conclusion, as God has, concerning our state, that we are to live free from the power of sin. And so the, word, the Greek word here for reckoning, or reckon, is, uh, uh, I'll try and pronounce it, it's, Logged, log, come on, Sam, can you help me out? What is it? Logizuma. <laughs> okay. I'm never going to learn Greek. <laughs> but you see, the word means, in, uh, in, in the Greek, it means to, uh, it's, a, it's a numeric, it's in, a sense, in, one, in one sense, it means a numerical calculation, okay? In terms of one plus one equals what? Two. Okay? I don't reckon it's two, it is two, right? 
And so, that it, so uh, it also means, uh, secondly, a reckoning of characteristics or reasons to take into account. So, there's, so in order to come to a logical conclusion, we take in various a- aspects to reach a verdict, so to speak. I'll illustrate this. Go to Romans chapter 2, verse 26, so you can see it. Paul writes, and he says, Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirement of the law, this is under the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? He uses the word counted. It's the same Greek word here for reckon. And so by taking that, so if an uncircumcised individual keeps, uh, uh, lives according to the law, will he not be regarded as being circumcised in terms of in heart? Paul is referring to there. So it's counted to him. Or remember, go to chapter 4 and uh, uh, verse 3, and uh, Paul talks about Abraham, and he says, For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was what? Accounted to him as righteousness. That is reckoned. It's the same word. And so it's, it's, it's an accounting term. It's a calculated thing. In fact, the word in Greek comes from its logos, and which means word. And so in other words, we're to take uh, these things and we are to understand and to calculate and to understand the logic and the rationale and the reasoning and the reality of what it equals. There is a, there is a, 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 a sharp or stark logic to this. So when Paul says, reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin, it's not... Uh, I think, or I guess. No, this is a. This is exactly what it is. This is the reality. You must reckon yourself, because it, that's the reality of your experience. And when you understand it, you must embrace it and reconcile in your mind. That word to also means to to judge, to calculate, to conclude, to to suppose, to deem. So, in other words. Reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin. It's a, it's a full-blown full conclusion. Oh, but can't we continue in sin that grace may abound? Absolutely not. Reckon yourself dead indeed to sin on the basis of your identification with Christ. And you shall no longer live under the dominion of sin in your life because you've now been freed. That's what Paul's saying. Free to live holy is obviously what the context that we're looking at. See, our reasoning must be in line with God's reasoning this morning. True? You need to think the way God thinks. And that's how this is based on revelation. This is based on uh, reading the word and understanding the word and God teaching us these things. And so in God's reckoning, we are dead to sin and alive to him. And we are free from the power of sin. And in our reckoning, that's how it should be. And... That's how we need to live. That's the point that Paul's making here. We'll see that as he is as it evolves. Because it must have a practical expression. And so how is this truth realized? How is it manifested? How is it demonstrated? Easy. By living a holy life. By living a holy life. You see, there's the positional and then there's the practical aspects of this. And this is what Paul is dealing with in, in, in Romans chapter 6. The two are working together. You see, how can you walk in the newness of life if you don't first understand your position in Christ, right? And the newness of life that you have before you can walk. But you have to walk, you have to live. And we have to practically live out our position. How? By the grace of God. By the Spirit of God, through the power of the Spirit, and and that manifests itself through the choices and the actions and effort, if you want to use that word to a point, uh, when it's rooted in what we're talking about. Because the two are going to go together. Let's look a little bit further. Look at verse 12. Paul says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts. Now notice the emphasis is don't let it. Now there's a, what we're being introduced to now is human responsibility. 
That you have a responsibility before God to, uh, to practically live out that which is your... You have to reckon on the spiritual truth and the spiritual reality of your position in Christ. And now you must practically live it. And this is what Paul's saying. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Because the fact is, it wants to. True? The sin, the sin nature, if, it's, uh, if, we don't, if, the, if the spirit doesn't gain the ascendancy in our life, then the flesh will. And if we allow the flesh and we, and we obey its lust, then it will dominate our lives. And it ought not to be so. Because that does not produce holiness or a holy life. Do not let sin reign or rule in your mortal body. You see, it should be obvious to us now that Paul in uh, uh, emphasizing our responsibility has already laid the foundation of our position. And I've, that's really what I think I've tried and attempted to do over the course of where we're at the, the sixth series. And I've made such an effort to try and lay the foundation, to try and touch upon all the different realities of our position in Christ and how the foundation of holiness. Because before, and now Paul is now subtly shifting in, his, in the book of Romans and in his presentation and now he's moving us into a life of practical, holy living. Because you can't have all the theology without the practicality. The two have, true spirituality is not that. It's, it's in here. It's in our lives and, and, and spiritual maturity and, and walking and living in the spirit. Are you following me this morning? And there's a human responsibility to this. Like I've, I've said, there is God's part and there is our part. The two must work together. The two must work cooperatively. And we, we, are, we are to appropriate all the provision that God has made through His grace and by the power of His Spirit. Otherwise, if you don't, then you're going to live according to your own strength and own self-effort. And that will always result in failure. See, we can't live a holy life without God. And He can't produce holiness in us without us cooperating with him. Can I say that again? We can't, live, we can't live a holy life without him, and he can't produce holiness in us without us. The two will work together. God must prevail in a, an, a, an upon us. He must have his way to, to work in us, to transform us. And there is a part, on our part, in terms of our, as, as a, as a, in our choices and our, and our actions, as we will see, as we consider further this series, where we'll see this manifest itself. Don't let sin rule, he says. Don't let it rule in your mortal body, that you would obey its lusts. In other words, he's saying, let grace reign. Because grace gives us a dominion over sin. Grace empowers us to live the life that God requires of us. Let the spirit, the newness of life, the resurrection power of God quicken your mortal body so that you can do what God has asked you to do. And in doing so, as you are changed and transformed, you these the fruit of holiness will begin to manifest. So, in verse 13, let's read it. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Now, Paul uses a word here. He's and uh, it's in, in, in the version I'm reading, King, King James, it's to present. But right through to verse 23, this word present is used numerous times. Because, uh, because again, this goes to the heart of what we are dealing with. In the King James, you find the word yield. Yield yourselves. And again, it gives us a, a subtle, different understanding. Because in the Greek, it incorporates all of these aspects. Okay? So to yield, to, to surrender, because you first got to submit to God, right? You yield to God. And that's why the Bible says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But if you want to just resist the devil in your own strength and not submit it to God, then that's not going to work either. 
So, so present yourselves, yield yourselves, or another word is, as well is offer yourself. And you have to do this by way of choice. And it's something that's required of us in the scriptures. You see, for sin shall not have dominion over you, because you're not under the law, but under grace. Now notice in verse 15, Paul asks virtually the same question again. He says, what then shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Now the answer to that is again, certainly not. It's forbidden to live that way before God. Do you understand that? Paul's, that's what Paul's saying. We, we are not allowed to live in that way. It's not sanctioned by God. Actually, I read this statement, and I'll read it to you. It says, The Apostle proceeds to notice an objection which might be suggested. If Christians are not under the law, which forbids all sin, but are under grace, which pardons sin, will it not follow that they will feel themselves released from an obligation to be holy? If God's grace is so wonderful, then what sense of obligation do I have to be holy and live holy? And this is the danger that Paul is sensing because God's grace gets misinterpreted. It's not, a, it's not just, yes, it covers sin. Thank God for His grace, it does that. But it's not a license to sin. In fact, it's the complete opposite. And so Paul is wanting to correct that because... Because the tendency of human nature is to free ourselves from an obligation to be holy. Because you know what? It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, okay, it's not right, it's not good, but hey, I'm still saved. And that, can, that, that, that is a damaging uh, mindset to, uh, to exhibit. And it's, not, and it's certainly one that's not uh, approved of by God. That's why Paul's addressing this and going to great lengths to explain to us the practical life of holiness. And, and listen to this, there is an obligation. You have an obligation before God to live a holy life that is separate to God. And this is what, this, it's this obligation that Paul is at the forefront of Paul's mind as he writes here. And he wants to demonstrate that and he wants to illustrate it. And so he does because uh, from verse 16. So having introduced the word present, to present, to offer, to yield as, we, as the word is interpreted. Look at verse 16. He's going to use an illustration. He says, do you not know that to whom you present, Yourselves, slaves. Now there's a word there now that he's just introduced for the first time, slaves. Now listen to his, his, his thought process. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves is to obey? You are that one's slave whom you obey. Whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. Now he's talking about practical righteousness, not position. <clears throat> He's talking now about the practical uh, aspect of holiness in our lives. And he says, don't you know that who you present, who you offer yourself to, what you yield to, this is now your responsibility. This is the onus is now upon you in your choices. Whom you present yourself slaves to obey. You are that one's slave, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. Whether you disobey or obey is now dependent upon your, your choice and you have a responsibility before God. He says in verse 17, But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, once we were slaves of sin, but not now, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine from which you were delivered. You see, we obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. So this is the whole emphasis of why, we, why do we serve God? Why do we love God? Because what? He first loved us. So we love Him. We obey from the heart. And this is a willingness to obey. It's a willingness to present. This is not, we don't live to some law. 
outward form. We're living to the law of the spirit of life in Christ. The law of liberty that says, you know what? I'm at liberty to do whatever I want, but I'm going to submit myself to God and His law and His righteousness. And I'm going to live a life that's pleasing to Him. And I'm going to, to be holy as He is holy. We have, and so this is in the same way that you obeyed the gospel from the heart is the same way in which you are obligated to, to, to serve God and pursue holiness and live a life of holiness. Again, from the heart. It's not just because the preacher says so. It's not because of some rule of law. It's not because of some outward form or standard. But because you love God and you want to please God and you want to do what's right before God. That's the motivation. And in verse 18, he says, Having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Now notice the expression here, slaves of righteousness. That's a, a really heavy term to be using, slaves. Again, it makes you feel like a, a, I'm, I'm obligated against my will. Now Paul said, you obeyed from the heart. You see, we are, we are bonds, Paul says, in, in, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. In other words, he's saying, I'm a slave to God, but I'm a slave to God on the basis of my choice to be a slave to God. Yes, God requires all, he demands all, but I do it willingly. I present myself, I offer myself, I yield myself, holy and all, because if, if he loved me first, how much more should I love him? If he gave everything, how much more should I give? So Paul is saying we are slaves of righteousness. We're obligated. He's using an analogy of slavery to demonstrate the obligation to righteousness. In verse 19 he says, I speak in human terms. He's using this analogy of slavery uh, to demonstrate to them to, so that they can understand. He says, for just as you presented your members... Of slaves of uncleanness. You know, when you were when you were without obligation, without Christ, you know what? You grew up and you just lived the way you wanted to live. You did whatever your flesh desired, you just pursued it. You just did it. You didn't give regard to God. You just fed your flesh and did what satisfied you. You were a slave to sin. But now you're now dead to sin and you're a slave to God. You are a slave to righteousness. And there's an obligation now. To present your members, in verse 19, to present your members as slaves of righteousness, look for holiness, or for to be separated, to become holy, to live a holy life. That's what Paul's saying. You're obligated to do this. We're slaves to righteousness, but willingly, of course. I mean, there's other aspects we could look at that, that word slave, but I don't want to go there. But just to make the point that it is that we are willingly slaves. And so, can you see now, Paul's, in light of our position, he's saying practically now, you are a slave to righteousness. And he says these words, we first find this, members as, as slaves of righteousness for holiness, for separation. Because now you're a Christian, you can't live the way you lived before. You can't go living in sin and disobedience. You can't go living in a manner that is unacceptable before God. And again, he says, present your members. So he's dealing now specifically with the, uh, uh, those external aspects. Even though holiness is internal, he's dealing with the external factors. You see, isn't it interesting that in the, in, in the book of Romans... Paul spends the first 12 chapters discussing theology. And then you're familiar with Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where he gives his first practical exhortation. And what does he say? Look at Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body, your bodies, as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. 
In other words, he's saying present. The word present is the same word in Romans 6 here. Yield, offer, present yourself as a living sacrifice to God. Meaning I'm going to be separated from the world. I'm not going to be a chameleon. I'm not going to look like the world, live like the world. I'm going to be separate and I'm going to be holy because I'm a slave to righteousness. That's the logical conclusion. That's the reckoning. Reckon yourselves dead. In fact, Paul says in Romans 12 verse 1, he says, It is your reasonable service to God. You know, that word reasonable, again, comes from the Greek word, and it means it comes from the same root word. It means it's the logical conclusion. This is the logical conclusion. What I'm telling you this morning in relation to the life of holiness, it comes, it's, it's the logical expression for the Christian. It's the practical application of your position. It's logical. It's reasonable. So verse 20 of Romans 6. He says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. See, in other words, when you were in sin, you had no obligation to God and you had no obligation to do right. But he says, now that's not the case. That's what he's saying. Verse 21, what fruit did you have of them, of those things of which you are now ashamed? What fruit? When you lived in the flesh and according to the flesh and in disobedience to God, what fruit did you have in your life? I, I, I look back before my life in Christ and I need to see shame. Things that I'm ashamed of. I know I'm forgiven. I'm not bound by condemnation anymore. But I look back at those things and I'm ashamed of those things. I don't live with shame in the same sense because I live in the freedom of my justification in Christ. I'm saved, I'm delivered, I'm free, I'm declared righteous in, in God's sight. But I look at the fruit of what it was then and I look now and see the fruit in Christ and uh, thank God. And so, Paul says, the end of those things in verse 21 is death. You know, spiritual death, that is. Because when we were in the flesh, living in sin, as verse 23 says, the wages of sin is death. And so it's not just physical death that Paul's referring to this in this instance. The end of those things was death physically and ultimately spiritually. Verse 22. But now, having been set free from sin, and having become slaves of God, there he is again, you have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. You see, think about that. He uses the word here now, he talks about fruit in terms of the fruit that we, we manifested when we were in the flesh, sin and death. But now, having been set free and become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness. And that's what holiness is. And we'll see that in the scripture. That's why we are to abide in the vine and we bear fruit. We don't produce fruit because we're not fruit producers. We're fruit bearers, right? And so you have your fruit to holiness because the fruit is, the fruit of holiness stems from what? Not your self-effort, not your strength, not your willpower, but rather the grace of God by the Spirit of God. That's what is the root, and that's what gives way to the fruit. And the fruit of holiness is what must manifest, but in the process of that, we are slaves to righteousness. So now we're going to have to make choices, we're going to have to act, we're going to have to set ourselves to obey. And this is the human element that an emphasis that Paul is making here. And so we're going to look more at this issue of fruit as we go along. But I want to make the point that it will involve choices and actions and effort on our part as we yield, present and offer ourselves. And then all of a sudden, the life of the spirit begins to rule and to reign in our lives and we begin to be transformed, become more like Christ. 
Again, I go back to the scripture, if I can, and I'll read it again. I know we've read it before, and I know you're familiar with it, but let's just read it in its context again. Philippians chapter 2, verse, verse 12. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. For it is God who works in you to will and to do for his good pleasure. Can you see the connection here? And the, whole, the, the balance and the tensions that are at work? But they're all truths that are combining together to the same end. Verse 14, look. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Listen, verse 15, that you may become, become blameless. And this is the heart, this is a, one of the, the roots of holiness, is a blamelessness. Because none of us are perfect, right? We, we're, not, we're not perfect. But we can still be blameless. You can still error, make and be in error sometimes, but have been blameless. We're blameless because we don't have, uh, we are blameless and harmless children of God, without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. In other words, it's holiness. Holiness. We're separated. We're living a whole lot. There's something different, distinctive about you that's different from the world that is crooked and perverse. Of whom you shine as lights in the world. That's what we're called to do. And if we're living like the world, acting like the world, and we're not living a holy life and having the fruit of holiness, then what's the distinction? What light are we, what emanates from us? Are we a light that shines? So, we then have Paul's final words in verse 23. Actually, first, going back to 22, he says, You have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. So, in other words, in this life now, we have the fruit of holiness, and in the end, when we put this body off, we have the promise of everlasting life with Christ. Be free from this body of sin and death. And that's, the, that's what we're all waiting for. We're groaning within ourselves to be delivered. Amen? That's what Romans 8 saying. We're waiting for the day. And, uh, and so if we die and be present with the Lord, praise the Lord. But Lord, come and deliver me. And take me out of completely this body of death. So, he says in verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, and the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, we use this text for the gospel, don't we? But Paul's speaking to Christians here, first and foremost. But in terms of what we preach, the principle for the gospel, it's true. For the wages of sin is death. It's eternal separation from God. And uh, as Paul's talking about it in contrast to eternal life. So the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, and it is a gift, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so Paul here is in fact giving a warning to, to those, and it goes all the way back to verse 1 of chapter 6. What shall we say? Continue to, to continue to live in sin that grace may abound. And Paul's conclusion in verse 23 is this, sin, God's grace doesn't cover that doesn't give you a license to sin. God's grace doesn't cover that. The wages of sin is death, and the gift of God is eternal life, Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I don't want to go into all the theological debate here. So I'm going to say that it's just got to do with the physical death of the body, and the Bible's clear on that. There's, there's truth to that. The Corinthians were disobeying God. They were, they were dying as part of God's chastisement upon them. And there's a sin that leads to death as well, as we see in, in, in John's epistles. But I can't just see it primarily in that context because Paul, in my mind, is addressing the fact that the wages of sin is death and he's contrasting that to eternal life. And so if we use that text and say, well, to the sinner it means this and to the Christian it means this, I, don't, I can't see it and reconcile the two personally. But what I'm saying and the point that Paul's trying to make more than anything is, is that we are, have an obligation just to live holy. 
not to abuse the grace of God, not to take it as for granted as a license for sin. In fact, because it's the completely opposite. And so there are three, as we conclude this morning, there are three things or three instructions in Romans 6. There's more, but there's three principal ones. That is, know, knowing this from verse 6, knowing this, that you've been crucified with Christ. So you've got to know that. In knowing that, you'll go to verse 11, you will reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin. So there's the knowing, then there's the reckoning. And then the third thing is present. On that basis, present yourselves as slaves unto righteousness because that's your obligation before God and it's your obligation under grace. Because Paul says in verse 14, sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under the law, but you are under grace. No dominion. We're free from the power of sin. And we have to appropriate that power and you know how you appropriate it? It's faith. You know, people say it's automatic. It is automatic in this sense. Because it's automatic because, you know what, when you believe, when you reckon on this truth, you act, that reckoning is, an, is a decision, is a choice. It's, it's a conclusion. And you act in, in faith. You believe what God has said. And when you believe it, that's faith. And faith is what uh, harnesses the power. Faith is what activates the grace. And then we receive of his fullness. And so then we experience it. And then it empowers us to live the way we ought to live and to do what we ought to do. That's the way I believe that the scripture is teaching us this morning. So let's pray as we conclude. Father, we just thank you for the word of God this morning. I do pray, O oh God, that you would, you would uh, just uh, uh, seal the words of this chapter, God, into our hearts. We're slaves of righteousness. In the same manner, God, that we obey from the heart the gospel, the same way we, have, we must obey from the heart to live a life of holiness, the separation unto God. And Lord, help us to present ourselves, to yield, to offer ourselves, our bodies as living sacrifices, Oh God, but that which is holy and acceptable and is according to our to reasonable service. Lord, help us to see the, the logic of this. Help us to understand it and help us, Lord, more than that, to live it. In Jesus' name.